Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week we're going to have a look at home ownership and the link between the declining trend in home ownership and economic, demographic, social and other factors in potentially driving that, including housing affordability. Australians have long had a fascination with property. It's evident in waves of speculative booms and busts that periodically grip our cities. For example, this was observed over four decades ago in relation to Sydney and documented by someone called M.T. Daly in his book, Sydney Boom, Sydney Bust, which was published way back in 1982. In fact, he noted that city land booms have always been a snare of the people of the Australian colonies. And despite various efforts of governments, the Sydney real estate system seems to have run out of control and the inflated values have become institutionalised. Just bear in mind again that that was uh, said more than 40 years ago. Since then, of course, the fascination has arguably grown more intense, facilitated by more ready access to data on the property market and a huge industry around property investment. But it's also historically evident in relatively high levels of home ownership in Australia, particularly in the post-World War II period. Since the mid-1960s, though, the home ownership rate in Australia has declined, as documented in a fascinating report by the well-known demographer Bernard Salt, together with AMP entitled What Wealthy Means to Australians in 2023. In my view, the most interesting chart in the report is that of home ownership based on ABS census data dating back to 1911 that Bernard Salt and his team discovered peaked around 1966. Just before World War I, Australia's home ownership rate was just below 50%, but from even this relatively high rate, it surged in the post-World War II years to reach a peak of 73% in 1966, as home ownership was seen as delivering financial security after the malaise of the Great Depression and World War II. As the report notes, at the time it was all about getting married, having kids, buying a house and holding a steady job. Retirement planning was really on the radar with life expectancy at around 70 in the late 1950s and early 1960s. In the aftermath of the Depression and World War II, the concept of wealth was seen as tied up to owning a home. In fact, they were seen to some degree as synonymous. However, from the peak in 1966, housing affordability has trended down to now being around 63%. So the peak was 73%. We've now come down 10 percentage points or so from that peak. The question is whether this decline reflects deteriorating housing affordability, flowing from years of property booms, leading to a fading in the Aussie dream, which is centered on home ownership, or whether it's something deeper. The natural inclination is to think that the fall in the home ownership rate is all due to worsening affordability. However, the Australia of today is radically different to that of 1966. And this has surely had a big impact, as the report points out. There's a whole bunch of factors at work here. For example, of course, we're now seeing more years spent in education. People are starting work further and further into their 20s. The increase We've seen an increasing importance attached to career and getting it um, onto a solid footing before starting a family. We've seen a solid rise, particularly strong rise, in fact, in female workforce participation over the last few decades. There's also an intense desire for more experiences in travel. And all of these things have seen family formation pushed into the late 20s. Starting with the baby boomers, subsequent generations have not felt 
felt the same need for security offered by home ownership that their forebears felt in the mid-1960s. This partly flowed from the dimming of memories of the travails of the Great Depression and World War II, rising levels of economic prosperity in recent decades, and greater choices for spending with the growth of travel and, of course, uh, cafe culture. In fact, one probably is well aware of Bernard Salt's famous comment that uh, many people are very busy these days smashing avocado on five grain toast. In other words, there's lots of things to do other than just focus on buying a home. And of course, there's a perception that many may have based on seeing their parents' experiences that owning a home is not necessarily the way to happiness. Related to all of this, there is an element of Maslow's hierarchy of needs at work here. In Maslow's hierarchy, the first set of needs is physiological, for example, food and shelter. Then of course, there's safety and security, which Good examples are health and property, followed by love and belonging, friendship, for example, and family, the need for self-esteem, for example, confidence and achievement. And finally, at the top of the hierarchy, we have self-actualization, for example, morality, meaning and inner potential. In the post-war years, the focus for many Australians was on physical needs, including shelter and a perception that this will provide safety and security. In other words, we're at the bottom end of that Maslow hierarchy of needs pyramid. Today, many still struggle with this. But arguably, the prosperity seen over the last 50 years has seen many more move on to focusing on self-actualization. Witness, for example, the growth of books and material directed to this end in bookshops and online. I think if I go back to my younger years in the 70s, I can't remember a lot of books being on self-actualization. There were some, of course, um, and some were quite famous. But these days, you go into a bookstore if you still have one, um, in your suburb, and you will find lots of books on self-actualization. In 1966, this whole phenomenon was only just starting with hippies trying to seek enlightenment. For some, of course, individual freedom may now not be seen as consistent with the financial commitment required by a mortgage. Another big factor has been the increase in life expectancy, such that a retiree today may spend 25 years in retirement. Back in the 1950s, it was maybe only five years. And of course, we've seen the growth of superannuation from the early 1990s, which has meant an increased focus on retirement and wealth beyond the wealth inherent in the family home. And finally, we've seen an increase in diversity in terms of cultures and sexual orientations, which may in turn have reduced the perceived importance of home ownership for some. The combination of these considerations has likely contributed to some decline in the importance of home ownership as a measure of wealth and an underpinning of security. In contrast to the make-do depression generation and to a lesser degree their baby boomer children and demographics and starting careers later in life have pushed the desire for home ownership out from the early 20s to maybe the late 20s or early 30s. But what about housing affordability? It's very hard, I think, to see housing affordability as not impacting this. Trying to define housing affordability is always a bit of a challenge, given the influence of house prices. And of course, even on that front, there's been a dramatic change in the quality of housing over the last uh, 100 years. So it's very difficult to compare a house today with the house of, say, 1950. We've also got issues around income. Do we include two-family homes or one-family homes, interest rates, and beneath all of that, um, obviously, as I just referred to, we've seen the rise of two-income households and the increased availability of debt. So all of these things have muddied what you might regard as a simple definition of housing affordability. But to keep things simple, I think it's pretty clear that housing affordability has deteriorated massively over the last three decades. But to keep things simple, it's pretty clear that housing affordability has deteriorated massively since the 1990s. If we look at two measures of housing affordability, for example, the ratio of 
average home prices to average annual wages and the ratio of home prices to median household income. And of course, that latter definition allows for two income households. What we do see is that since the 1980s, but particularly since the 1990s, there's been a massive rise in both ratios. For example, the ratio of average house prices in prior to the 1990s to average annual wages averaged something like two to six times. In recent years, it's actually been around 14 times. Similarly, the ratio of home prices to median household disposable income has blown out from around four times to eight times as housing has become a lot more expensive relative to people's incomes. Yes, interest rates are still lower than was the case in the 1980s and 1990s, but this has been reflected in higher price to income ratios. Another measure related to housing affordability is how long it takes to save for a deposit to enter the property market. For someone on average full-time earnings, it now takes around 10 years to save a 20% deposit to buy an average property, compared to around five years ago, five years, 30 years ago. The downtrend in home ownership over the last three decades has correlated very closely with the deterioration in housing affordability, as measured by home price to income ratios and the increasing time it takes to save for a deposit. So housing affordability has likely to contributed to the decline in home ownership along with the factors mentioned in the previous discussion regarding demographics and social considerations. Disentangling the relative importance of all these drivers will be very difficult. The increase in time it takes to save a deposit may also have accentuated the demographic factors referred to earlier, notably starting a family later in life in delaying home ownership. Maybe the modest rise in home ownership in the last census up until 2021, where home ownership went from around 62% to 63 reflects the delayed start to family life. I guess the question is, should we worry about the decline in home ownership to the extent that falling home ownership reflects understandable choices around demographic trends, prosperity and diversity? Maybe we shouldn't be too concerned, but it likely also partly reflects the impact of deteriorating housing affordability. And this is something we should be concerned about as it is driving increasing inequality across generations. And if it persists, could threaten social cohesion. So what can be done to boost housing affordability? This is something that there's been a lot of discussion on over many, many years. And of course, we don't seem to get anywhere. In fact, as noted in MT Daly's comments earlier, despite numerous efforts by governments across many years, they have clearly not been successful. Although I suspect this is because the measures adopted by governments have not been comprehensive or forceful enough. Ideally, government policy should involve a multi-year plan encompassing local, state and federal governments if we're going to seriously address the issue of housing affordability. My shopping list on this front includes the following. First one is quite simple. Build more homes, relax land use rules, release land faster and speed up approval processes, encouraging build to rent affordable affordable housing, and it's good to see the federal government starting to move in that direction. And we probably also need to see greater public involvement in the provision of social housing. We also need, I think, critically, to match the level of immigration to the ability of the property market to supply housing. We have clearly failed to do this following the reopening that we've seen in the Australian borders since the pandemic, and this is now evident in severe supply shortfalls. We need to encourage greater decentralisation to regional Australia. The work-from-home phenomenon shows this is possible, but it should be helped along with appropriate infrastructure and, of course, measures to boost regional housing supply. We also need tax reform, including replacing stamp duty with land tax to make it easier for empty nesters to downsize and reducing the capital gains tax discount, which I think would remove a distortion in favour of speculation. Policies that are likely to be less successful in boosting housing or improving housing affordability include grants and concessions for first-time buyers as they just pump up prices for existing owners and abolishing negative gearing, which could just inject another distortion 
distortion into the tax system and could adversely affect supply. Although I do recognize there is a case to cap excessive use of media gearing tax benefits. So I hope that it's been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favorite streaming platform.